0: Today is the fourth message, consecutive message I've preached out of Matthew 24. And you may be saying, enough with this end time stuff already. But I I would tell you that it is imperative that we understand the times in which we live. And understand the nearness of His coming, I don't know how much time we have to the second coming or the return of Jesus. I have no idea how long that really is, but I do know that we, when we look around as I preach that first message out of Matthew 24, that you just have to look at the signs around you to know. He's coming soon. Today, we're going to establish the fact that we don't know the day, but we can know the season of His return. Matthew 24, verses 32 to 41, the New Living Translation. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, what things? The things that Jesus has just told them. When you see those things, you can know His return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. So just for a little bit today, I want to preach on this the season of His coming, the season of His coming. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me give Anna a hand for all the (laughs) tremendous music. And I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter, my favorite daughter, and I'm proud of her. She is on a quest for me to say favorite child, but I'm going to slip up one day, I'm going to say that. And then she's going to go to her brother, and that's, But <laughs> well, she's doing a tremendous job. So thankful for her. February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day has been around since the 15th century. Groundhog Day is the day in which the groundhog is supposed to stick his head up out of the, the ground and... If he sees his shadow, to be honest with you, I don't even pay enough attention to know, but if he sees his shadow, only six weeks left. Is that right? Only six weeks left till spring is going to be here. Anybody know about Groundhog Day? Yeah, okay. This is a bad illustration. If you don't know about Groundhog Day, it makes no difference whether I use this or not. But the groundhog is supposed to signify that the end of winter is at hand and spring is soon to come that there are the changes in the season and you can know that it's it's getting close i would tell you that in the same way every year when people look at the groundhog and they make a big deal about it and i ignore it as you obviously do as well it's not really that big a deal it doesn't matter the groundhog is not deified there's nothing special about him probably even goes back, who knows, to some kind of pagan ritual. You never know. But I would tell you that just like the groundhog is supposed to signify that the seasons are getting ready to change and winter is soon to end and spring is soon to come, that looking around at our world will tell us that the season of the coming of Jesus is soon at hand. That all you have to do is observe what is going on around us and look at the specifics of what they're doing. You may not have heard of the 2030 agenda by the United Nations. It is the Sustainable Development Goals. It actually began in 2015 with a a goal of by 2030 having 17 of these SDGs, as they're called, be established. And what those SDGs are ultimately going to do is they're going to redistribute the wealth of not only individuals but nations. It is their goal. That everybody around the world will be equal. Well, you can only do that by taking stuff from one person and giving it to another. But that's part of their agenda. And to set, ultimately, to set the elites in power. This is not politics. This is signs of the end. This is signs that are telling us that we are close. Just last week, Monday and Tuesday, a group of world leaders connected with the United Nations met again as they do every year at the 2023 SDG Summit. And this is what they were pushing for. In fact, you can find it on the United Nations website. He said, we need seven accelerated years to achieve our goals. Now, if you know anything about the end times, you understand seven is significant. There is a final seven-year period. And I don't have time to walk through all of that, but understand this: that they are pushing for this 2030 agenda to be done in an accelerated seven years, that they haven't accomplished what they want, so now they're trying to ramp it up. Saudi Arabia working on agreements behind the scenes with Israel to declare a two-state solution with Israel and Palestine, which will then pave the way for the rebuilding of the third temple on the Temple Mount. All you have to do is look around at what's going on in our world and understand that the technology is there for the mark of the beast and to number the people and... The central bank digital currencies and all that's being taken place in FedCoin, which is the the street term for the United States central bank digital currency. Everything is pointing to this, to the great reset called by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, who would say by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy about it. No cars, no house. Everything you own will belong to them and you will rent it from them. Am I saying Jesus is coming tomorrow? No, but I'm saying we are in the season of His coming. That He is getting close to we are wrapping things up and before it can be wrapped up He will come for His people. He will come to take us and rapture us out of here before it all wraps up and we are getting close to that. And from this passage of scriptures that I read to you, I want to bring four quick truths, or things that you and I need to understand, and the first is this, we need to recognize that His coming is near. That Jesus starts this section of the Scripture by telling the parable of the fig tree. I don't know that I've ever seen a fig tree, obviously it's a big deal in the land of Israel. And what He would say about the fig tree is this, is that you can look at the fig tree, and you will know that when its branches begin to bud and its leaves begin to sprout, summer is almost here. You see that the, the leaves are already changing, and we've had the first day of fall, but when you start seeing that first change of the leaves, you know that fall is near. The groundhog sees its shadow, spring is near. But Jesus says, learn this from the fig tree, that all you have to do is look at the fig tree and you know it's almost summertime when it begins to sprout. And he says, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. That when you see the signs of the end times, the signs of one world government, the signs of people uh paving the way for this technology of digital currency and a, a, the ability to put a mark of the beast on somebody. And people around the world are putting implants in their hands already and they're using it for their currency. They're not pulling out their phone. Anybody like Apple Pay or Google Pay? The day's coming. You won't have to do that. You just hold your hand out. Whole Foods already using that technology a little bit different that they read your palm. And know that you are okay to buy this. Recognition that He is coming soon. And it is not a long way off. It is almost here. We are in the season of His coming. But let me hurry. He moves from not only saying just look around you and you can know that it's close. But before I move on, let me say this. I I was born in 1972. Raised in the 80s, 70s and 80s, as I was a child, and I don't remember much about this in the 70s, I was too young to pay attention to it, but there was a rapture rush in the 70s. I've met people who are married today because they got married earlier than they planned because they were afraid Jesus was coming back. And they wanted to make sure they got married before He came back. If you're planning on getting married, maybe you should do that. Get some counseling first. In the '80s, it was all the craze of Jesus is coming back to the end of the '80s. 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming. Why he's coming in '88, and he didn't come. And then we had '89 reasons in '89. I've heard about it. The technology wasn't there. The will of the nations wasn't there, but now every time you look at anything, it's global this and international that and world this. It's all about this new world order and it's all about pulling us together into this global community and working together in this one world economic system and this one world governmental system. Technology didn't exist to number everyone in 1988, but it exists now. You can read about it on the United Nations website. They've been working on it. Their goal was by 2020 to have the ability to number every person in the world. Signs are pointing and telling us we are in that season. And as Jesus moves down what we would call verse 34, He says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. What generation is he talking about? Scholars have been split, but it's readily apparent there's only one option here. It is not the generation that he's talking to. It's not the people that he's looking at in the face that day and says, your generation... But he says this generation, which one? The one that sees the signs. The generation that sees all of these signs and says it's just like the fig tree, his return is near, that when you see the signs, if you live in that generation, you're not going to pass away until this comes to pass. What that means is you and I, if these are really the signs, and I believe they are, that our generation will not pass away until all of this wraps up. Understand God is sovereign. And what that means, that's a big theological word that means God is in charge and can do what He wants to do. That means He can accelerate the timeline or He can slow down the timeline. That we are like a runaway freight train heading for a one world government. God can put the brakes on that. He could stop it today. He's in charge and he may very well do that but if I'm interpreting the signs around us correctly our generation is the ones that will see the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. How do I know it wasn't their generation? Because 30 Years later, Paul said he still hadn't come. And over 60 years later, John wrote that he was still coming in the future. It still had not happened. That Peter was gone and James was gone and Matthew was gone. All of those had passed off the scene and only John was left in AD 95 when he writes the the book of Revelation and said he's still coming. It still hasn't happened yet. He's still coming in the future. Our generation is the generation. Now, that could scare you. Or that could make you excited. I do a number of end-time Bible studies. One of, I probably have told you this, one of the people that I meet with we go through this stuff, and he gets scared to death. And I'm going, man, did you see this? This is, this is what's going on out there, and I'm excited. And you see all these things. And he's like, man, what are you excited for? I'm like, that just means Jesus is coming soon. I'm not worried about what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen. He's coming soon. And so when I see all of this, it's worth celebrating and worth getting excited for. because That means we're soon to go and be with Jesus forever. And Jesus would move and he would say this, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. As sure as my word is true, I'm coming back. We can have the assurance of his coming. Everything else may disappear, but he says my words will never disappear. They will come true. Problem is this that no one knows exactly when it's going to be, and Jesus would say, "No one knows the day or the hour." That's why I changed my title. It's going to be the timing of His coming, and I decided just to make it the season. I don't know the timing, but I can tell you we're in the season of His coming. That He is soon to return to this earth. We have the guarantee of His word we have the guarantee of God's omniscience that God knows what He's going to do and He's known But from the foundation of the world. He already knew what was going to take place and He knew when He was going to come back. And We are living in a day when no one knows the day or the hour. And Jesus would even, and if you you read it closely, you can be like, well, Jesus says He Himself doesn't know. That's not exactly the way he said it. He says, no man knows the day or the hour. The angels don't know and the sun doesn't know. If you understand that distinction between God robed in flesh and God revealed in flesh from the omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient spirit of God, Jesus limits himself while he's in that human body. And he's like, I can't tell you exactly when it is. But he can now. And in fact, the word that is used about knowing is, it is, a, it is a present tense in the Greek language. It says that there was a point of time when no one knows. But I promise you, Jesus knows when He's coming back. But in His humanity there, and, and I won't get into all the theological, the interpolation, and various things of whether that word should even be in the text or not. But understand this, we have the guarantee that God who knows everything is coming back and He has said, I am coming back. And lastly, we must understand the suddenness of His coming. Jesus lays out this sudden nature of His return. When the Son of Man returns, he says, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, he says, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now you say, how did they not know? How did the people not know that judgment is coming? They were living life with oblivion of the coming destruction. But it was not because they had not been warned. It was not because Noah did not tell them. In fact, the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He is preaching to them of the coming judgment, yet they chose not to hear. Our world, when they are destroyed at the return of Jesus, it it won't be because they didn't know, it's because they chose not to hear. Peter would write it this way, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Why are they mocking? Because you're telling them that Jesus is coming. They will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and they will be saying, where is the promise of His coming? You tell us He's coming, but we don't see it. We don't believe it. It's not that they don't know, but they choose to not hear. They will say, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, the patriarchs of old, ever since they fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And Peter ties it in to Noah. He says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. That Peter says, just like it was in Noah's day, Noah, what are you doing? You're building this boat. It's not going to rain. Everything's going to be fine. You don't know what you're talking about, Noah. Jesus said, just like them, it will be in our day that just like them, they will continue on, but then there will be a sudden destruction. In fact, the Bible would say this, in the day that Noah entered the ark, the rain came. That the day that God closed the door of the ark is the day judgment began to fall. It is a sudden destruction. And Jesus likens then the rapture of the church or the catching away of the bride of Christ. He likens that. That just like it was sudden for them, it's going to be sudden for us or for you talking of us when it happens at the church, the called out ones, the people who are called by His name, they're going to be called up to heaven to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be quick, unlike the return that we talked about last week, that people every eye is going to see Him, the rapture is going to be an instantaneous event where we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. In the blink of an eye, the Scripture would say that Paul would write, two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. When the rapture takes place, hope has run out. That there is no more hope, but God takes his people out of this world. There are three main parts of the second coming of Jesus. The Greek word that is used for this coming, parousia. Some would pay would say parousia, but parousia is the the better pronunciation. It is used of this entire process of the coming of Jesus. Three main parts to this parousia. The first main part is this, it is the rapture of the gathering together of the elect of God from this earth, followed by the outpouring of His wrath, and followed by Him establishing an earthly kingdom. So the rapture and the second coming, they're not synonymous the rapture part of this whole. Just like the first coming of Jesus was not a specific moment in time, there was the announcing to Mary that that which in you is of the Holy Spirit and nine months later Jesus is born and the angels... Saying, gather the angelic choir saying glory to God in the highest and the shepherds coming. All of that we look at is that birth and we look at the first coming of Jesus from 33 and a half years until his ascension to heaven. So it will be with the second coming. It will begin with this rapture of the church that will take the elect of God out of here. We need to recognize his coming is soon. That we are that generation of His coming. We can be assured that what He has spoken, He will bring to pass. And it will be a sudden gathering together of God's elect. So why do I keep preaching this? Ultimately, I preach it because Felt like the Lord said, preach through Matthew 24. So I'm preaching through Matthew 24. But understand that it's not just so you know what takes place, never is a sermon or a Bible lesson purely about knowledge of the Word of God. Knowing doesn't accomplish the task. Transformation is the goal. That I change my life and I I change my allegiance from me to Jesus or this world to Jesus that I, I seek to be born again. As Anna comes to the piano, when we look at the fact that the time is growing short, there is a requirement that we be ready for that rapture that is soon to come. And there is only one way, and I've told you before, there's only one way to make sure you're ready. That is to repent of your sins and pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the only saving name, in the waters of baptism, calling on the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced with speaking in a language you do not know. That new birth, it is the ultimate transformation until that day when our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Immortality. And our corruption will put on incorruption. But this side of that moment, it is the greatest transformation as we are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Once again, you can be afraid of His coming, or you can be ready for His coming. But if you're ready, there's no need to be afraid. I was 11 years old. I've told this story maybe even in this series, but we'll tell it again. I had sought to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit probably as early as eight years old. I was a late bloomer. Anna received the Holy Ghost at seven. My wife was eight. I'm not sure I really paid that much attention until I was at least eight. And I would seek to be filled with the Spirit. And if you're raised in an apostolic Pentecostal environment and you know hey, I need the Holy Ghost, and so they call for people to come receive the Holy Ghost, you just go. Numerous times I would go to the altar and I would pray and 20 minutes 30 minutes 40 minutes and the adults are just like wishing I was done and you can get a sense you've been around this you know if people are really ready sometimes we're like the man whose son was demon possessed and Jesus said if you believe anything is possible and he said Lord I believe and then he's like well help my unbelief we can be like, Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but then I'm not sure I'm really ready for that. I'm not sure I'm really ready, and I, was it wasn't that I was a big sinner age of 8 or 9 or 10. But on a Saturday night in a revival service, November the 12th, 1983, when John Kershaw was preaching about the end times, preaching about the fact that in order to purify the priest and purify the nation of Israel, they had to have a spotless, perfect red heifer. They would offer as a sacrifice and take those ashes of that red heifer and they would use it to purify the temple and the priest. He was preaching. They've got one of those in Texas. Thank you, they actually have one in Israel now that came from Texas they have four in reserve the leading priests of Israel have the red heifer they're just waiting on the agreement that will let them build the temple when he preached that night and my little 11 year old self said I I got above all else I must be saved that Jesus is coming soon He didn't come in 1983, and He may not come in 2023, but He's coming soon. And when Anna Lockhart turned around and looked at me and said, Do you want the Holy Ghost? I said, Yes, because I knew it was the only way to make sure that I would get to heaven. And what I had spent 20 or 30 or 40 minutes' time, numerous times in my past, it took 30 seconds for me to be filled with the Holy Ghost because I was like, It doesn't matter what else is going on. i got to be saved. Jesus is coming. And what I would tell you is this. The time is growing short. And there is only one way to make sure you are ready to meet Him. If you're not ready today, this could be today. This could be the day. Chris is getting baptized in the name of Jesus today. If you haven't been baptized, today's the day. might run out of towels, but you'll be okay. And What I would tell you and admonish you, don't let any more time go by until you get ready. Or you get ready to meet Jesus and you get right with Him. Would you stand together? If you're ready for to meet Him, then you just have to stay ready. But I would tell you that it's more than just going about our business and I'm going to talk about living ready next week but Daniel would write of the end times and he would say this in 1132 of his book those who do wickedly against the covenant he the antichrist shall corrupt with flattery but the people who know their God shall be strong And carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. So what that means for you and I today is this. That if we're ready to meet Jesus, we need to pray for power. And we need to pray for boldness to do exploits. That means that we're sharing the gospel of Jesus with people and we're doing signs and miracles and wonders by the power of Jesus Christ so that they will know that there is a God in heaven and that He is soon to return and that we who understand that He's soon to return will instruct many and tell them, Jesus is coming soon. You need to get ready and this is how you do it. So my call to action today is this. It's just threefold. Prepare yourself. Make sure that you're ready you have experienced the new birth. Prepare others through evangelism and sharing the gospel and pray then for boldness and for power to do what God wants you to do in these last days. If that's your desire in any of those categories, whether you're coming and say, God, I, I need to be filled with the Spirit or I, I'm ready to commit to you and believe in you and follow you and serve you. Or you're just saying, God, help me to evangelize. Or you're just coming to pray for power and boldness. But everybody in this room, would you stand out from where you are? Don't hold back and say, I can pray here, and you can. But as a sign of faith, and I would tell you that God will do something in you when you step out in faith. When you say, God, I'm committing my life to you. I'm committing to being ready. I'm committing to sharing the gospel with people. I'm committing, Lord, to pray for boldness and for power to see your work done in this world. Would you do that right now? Jesus we love you we adore you God we want to be ready for your return we want to make sure Lord that we're living in a way that is making us ready that we've experienced the new birth that we have repented of our sins God that we have gone down in the waters of baptism that we have been filled with your spirit today and God if we've ex- if we've done that we pray for boldness and power to share the gospel and boldness and power to see miracles signs and wonders done